What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Fitness Stuff for Normal People podcast. I'm Tony. Over here is Mary Anna. And it is no secret the fitness industry, the one we're in right now, it sucks, period. Whether it's the corrupt multi-billion dollar supplement and weight loss industry or the endless supply of influencers promoting anything to drive page views or put a dollar in their pockets. The bottom line is... We're not trying to provide just another fitness podcast, but actually change the fitness industry for the better by providing you with the knowledge and tools to give you confidence in applying the best possible training and nutrition, supplementation, and habits in your own life. Where today, we're mixing it up because usually we talk about something that we're going to refer to today as the outer game, right? Programming in your gym, nutritional strategy and science, everything on the outside. But today, we're talking about the inner game, what's going on on the inside. Right? The inner game is consisting of motivation, discipline, self-control, having a fixed versus growth mindset. The inner game arguably, and Mariana and I haven't even put numbers to this yet, is a bigger piece of the puzzle than anything else. Knowing what to do is never enough. You have to find a way to actually do it every single day, every week, every month, every year. And that's the hard part. Before we jump in, quick update on Spotify, pulling all the right moves. The, the Discover page just turned into a TikTok-esque looking thing to discover new music. You can also follow your favorite podcast like ours right up top on our page and drop us a five-star review once you're there if you want to see us smile a little bit because that's <laughs> what happens when we read these reviews. And if you like the research aspect that we bring into each episode, make sure to join us on our premium membership in the Weekly Fitness Stuff Research Review where we dive even deeper into specific studies addressing individual nuances, showing you how to apply each aspect into your own specific lifestyle while teaching you more about how to read and interpret research. This Friday coming up, we have our monthly Ask Me Anything episode where we answer your own questions. Mm -hmm. It's a great time for us to connect. Tony and I really love it. So make sure you join. It's just $5 for your first month if you want to check it out. And yeah, we have the uh, details in the description below. A quick note from our sponsor, Legion Athletics. We know that the supplement industry is incredibly broken and imperfect, which is why we really love partnering with a company that actually takes science and evidence-based research into account when creating their products. I am a huge fan of their protein. I just created a new smoothie recipe because it's finally warm in Boston and their whey protein isolate is incredible for adding into smoothies because it doesn't leave that chalky consistency and it doesn't have a weird aftertaste. It's also just such an easy way to get in more protein. I'm noticing more and more people talk about, especially more women, I think, talk about how important it is and that it's actually pretty hard. Like it's not the easiest thing to do. So a supplement makes it a little bit easier and there's tastes really good. <laughs> <laughs> you can get 20% off your first order or double points after that with the code FSPOD. We also will have a link in our show notes if you want to try that. Perfect blend coming from Whey Protein to introduce our newer sponsor that we've partnered with just a few weeks back. Now, if there's one thing we don't shut up about on this podcast, and for somehow it's probably going to work its way into today's episode about mindset, it's protein. Uh, just because whatever goal you have, whether it's to lose fat, to lean out, to build muscle, to get stronger, or just live a longer, healthier life, protein is usually somewhere towards the center of what you need to be focusing on. And one of the most commonly asked questions we get asked about is which type of protein should I choose? I know I personally get asked that all the time from a nutrition standpoint. And there's so many different types of proteins. We all have our personal preferences about taste or quantity, but we're actually partnering with The Strong Inside, which is an educational resource. We're not trying to sell you anything, but we're really trying to help you learn more about proteins from milk, specifically whey protein. 
Because if you didn't know, whey protein is a protein derived from milk and tested as the highest quality form of protein. That's because it's a complete pro protein, meaning it contains all nine essential amino acids and is absorbed more quickly than other types of proteins. It's not just found in your basic whey protein powder, but it's also in protein bars and shakes. Just look for whey, whey protein concentrate, or whey protein isolate on labels, all which deliver a very high protein content. And today, more and more people are finally looking at the science and taking a more evidence-based approach at finding the best protein for them. And the Strong Inside is just on a mission to educate them about the benefits from those complete proteins from milk. Now, once you figure out, okay, I know how to get in a little bit more, the next question is always, well, how much protein do you actually need based on your individual needs? If you listen to this show, you know how big we are on finding your individual approach and not just copy and paste in anyone else's. So if you want to find it out, head to thestronginside.com. They have a really easy protein calculator to use that actually takes into account many different factors like your body weight, your fitness level, the goals you specifically have, and even what life stage you're in. So we're going to put that in the show notes down below, or you can hit it on the stronginside.com to learn even more about how whey protein and all sources can help you get to your goal. Now today, we're talking about it, the I'm inside excited. game. Okay, so just for some reference for people listening, how we usually go about an episode is we will brainstorm, we'll come up with the ideas that we feel like the most people would benefit from. And then separately, we go about putting together and collecting our own research and putting together the pieces that we find individually before coming together and piecing together a storyboard of really what's going to connect, which I had actually a fun time because her and I, we had different takes at this a little bit, not mm -hmm. different takes of disagreeing, but we kind of just went down different paths. And when they combined, I think it became super, super powerful. I think that it happens a lot more than we think because we just take a different direction, but both paths are, are really important on the topic, but I don't know. It's nice having another brain to think of something that I didn't even think about. And then when we're like reviewing everything, I feel like like 10 times I'm like, oh shit, I didn't think about that. I that's forgot perfect. about this. <laughs> yeah, like, oh my God, that's such a good point. <laughs> so that's why I always really enjoy putting this together. So why we're talking about this today specifically, I think most people discount this too hard, way yeah. too hard. Because if you say improve your mindset, if it's, it, you know, it's, it's just whatever people discount that and they'll say, okay, I know I need to change my mindset. I know I need to change this, but how much effort are you actually dedicating towards changing this? Because I would say weighs just as much as the physical aspects of going to the gym, to the nutrition, and you're spending hours and hours and hours a week dedicated there. How much time are you spending here? Mm -hmm. I think most people, maybe not even a minute every yeah. single week. I think that's why it's the biggest problem. And I mean, you and I work with clients, right? So we get to actually see this take place and really change perspective, which I think is cool. Yeah. I mean, our minds are a scary place and it's much, I'm saying in quotations, if you're not watch, watching this, but it's much easier to not work on mindset, m the mental aspect, but in the long term, it digs a way deeper hole if you're not addressing that piece and it does not it really does not set you up for success or to get what you want in life. So, yeah, it might, yeah, you might be able to get some initial progress without paying attention to it, but it's rarely, if ever, I can't think of a single example, someone makes it far without mm -hmm. tackling mindset and honestly paying the most attention yeah. to mindset going on. So that's what we're going to try and do today is not just talk about foo foo woo woo, whatever. We're going to address a couple of different things, right? We're going to address willpower and self-control first about what it is, how we can use that on our side and how you can strengthen it. We're going to go into arguably one of the biggest 
areas, which is having a fixed versus growth mindset, actually putting together pieces so you can actually put this into your own life and then how we can change different aspects of our life to actually put things together. Because I want you to think of right now, if you're listening to this, every time you failed at accomplishing a goal, fitness, if we want to stay on topic, but honestly, this is any goal in life. Was it your mindset that ultimately derailed you? Mm -hmm. I think oftentimes the answer is if that piece was taken care of, I probably would have finished. I probably would have reached the goal. So let's start with just some basic willpower and self-control, which is not all it boils down to, but I think that's a lot yeah. of the time just below the surface. And that's where people stop. I need mm -hmm. more willpower. I need more self-control. And although those things are very massively important, they're not the end all be all. Now, according to a 2010 survey by the American Psychological Association, the lack of willpower is the number one obstacle people face in reaching their goals. So not time, not knowledge, not lack of willpower. Like we talked about this in the intro, just knowing what to do is not enough. Just mm -hmm. knowing what to do is not enough. Now, why I think willpower is important and just having that self-control, and this is put together from research from some pretty massive universities here, the University of Pennsylvania, Case Western, University of Maryland. These all show that people with higher levels of willpower end up generally doing better in school, earn more money through their careers, make better leaders, and are generally happier, healthier, and less stressed through life. So in general, the more willpower you can have, the better. But it's not a renewable resource. It runs out. It's not a forever thing. And you can't always count on it. But strengthening these muscles help. And I think yeah. that's, have you heard of that before? Willpower is yeah. like a muscle. Uh, willpower gets such, how we've positioned it in the fitness community. It's almost something I even hate bringing up that word because people look at it and will use it as, oh, you just don't have enough willpower. That's why you're not losing weight. Like, why can't you just not eat that cookie or just eat less or just go to the gym? Yeah. Like you have no willpower. And I hate how it's positioned that way because yeah. when you really think about what willpower is and Tony wrote this down beautifully, it's like the ability to say no, and the, you're going to have willpower and you're not going to have willpower in mm -hmm. certain situations. And there's ways you can, get better at saying no more often, but it's not looking at it like, oh, I suck because I have zero willpower. And this person's telling me to have more, but how do I have more? Like, I don't know what to do. It's just unproductive to tell someone, oh, well, you just don't have oh, willpower. So <laughs> but I think it's important to understand the basis of it and how it's important for mindset. Yeah. Yeah. It's really just becoming more mentally tough. So you can better, I think it really is honestly what we're going to talk about with willpower. It's just putting yourself in a position so you can make a calm yeah. and logical decision instead of giving in easily to emotion, to anything else, mm -hmm. which you're so freaking right though. That's the one thing that makes me roll my eyes the hardest is when you see like a 23 year old trainer who works in the gym, lives in the gym, sleeps yeah. in the gym. It's like, oh, you single mother with two kids and two full-time jobs, you're not working out just because you don't want it enough. If you wanted yeah. it, you'd make time for it. It's like, okay, mm -hmm. buckaroo, let's pump the brakes. But it has gotten a bad rap, but <laughs> learning how to strengthen it's big. So we want to think of willpower like this a little bit like a muscle. Is it the perfect analogy? No, but it's a good analogy, right? Where with any kind of muscle that you're training, if you train it correctly and intelligently, it becomes much stronger and you can handle a lot more weight. But like any muscle, it only has so much strength, right? It only has so much strength where if you push it too far, it's going to fail over and over again. Even the strongest muscles have a failing point, right? Mm -hmm. Look at look at any Mr. Olympia, Phil Heath, seven, eight time Mr. Olympia, even his freaking biceps, his mountain biceps have a failing point. Everyone's does. So 
strengthening your willpower can help you accomplish a lot of things, but it is not a fail safe is what we want to say now. And we're going to use it where yes, essentially your willpower is just decision-making, right? It's your ability to say yes or no, given the context. Now we're going to talk about a few different ways to increase this and to train this and to get stronger. I think the biggest one that you and I were talking about before this is actually not what people think, right? We're going to talk about some things that you can actually do it, but I think by far the, the number one thing that you can do to improve your willpower is actively work on just getting rid of the stress in your everyday life. Get rid of this, get rid of your stress, get more sleep. Don't so over just train. Get rid of your stress. I know, like, but, but it's 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 tough because a lot of people, Me with especially my in Helios. anxiety over here, I'm like, no, it, it's true. But it's like actively working on your stress. Everyone has stress. Like you can't yeah. completely eliminate it, but if you have the ability to control, I would say controlling your stress is better than eliminating it because yeah. For some people, that's just not realistic. But if you have something to fall on, when you do feel like your stress starts to get a little bit out of control, if you have something to lean back on that you know you could do to lower it in those situations and not get it so this becomes a chronic feeling of mm -hmm. zero self-control, which I know Tony was getting into. I just interrupted yeah. him. Sorry. Well, no, it's a big piece because, yeah, okay, yeah. I was like, just get rid of it. It's like, uh, what is it? <laughs> Just like a, like when this you tell is why your we work. To, this is why we work. When you, you tell your that. girlfriend to calm down, it's like, Hey, just yeah. calm down. It's like, Oh, that <laughs> helped. Absolutely not at all. Uh, but, but it's at least, okay. So not necessarily. So it's either changing your perception to stress or focusing on it and saying, okay, this is a real problem. This mm -hmm. is reality. I need to work on better managing this. And instead of just accepting it and saying, okay, I'm stressed. There's nothing I can do. There's things that you can do to improve your relationship with it, to better it. And I can't tell you enough how much that thing alone, we're going to talk about other, other methods to improve your, your willpower, but that alone, just getting that out of the way can increase it all. Focusing on your sleep. We were talking about this before on a low stress day. If you had a great night's sleep, even the biggest, most challenging problems you might have at work in a relationship, they shrink in size. They seem like the size of a pebble where if you're on a high stress, no sleep, Problems that are the size of a pebble grow into the size of a, a freaking mountain or a boulder. And you, you just yeah. look at it and you're like, there's nothing I can do about this. When in reality, it's, it's something the size of a pebble. Mm -hmm. But that's the power of what stress can do to your willpower. And again, it's just actively paying attention saying, hey, I'm a very high stress person. If you are, let's actually pay some attention and, and figure out how I can change this. Because I think we agree on this. Improving your stress is not a one size, not, not much as a one size fits all approach. Oh, no. But I feel like this is highly individual on how, you know, what works with one person does not work for someone else, mm -hmm. vice versa. I feel like we even find that for ourselves, like what works for me and you. Oh my goodness. And I just want to quickly say, I know this isn't our largest audience, but I'm sure we have a few people who have kids listening. Mm -hmm. um, disclaimer, Tony and I both are people who do not have kids and also do not want them in the foreseeable future. So I, that is not something I could speak to about mm -hmm. the stress that comes with a child. And that's not something I can, can add. And I think that that's really important. It's not that we're like ignoring that having kids in your life is this huge stressor. And we're just saying, find something to get rid of that stress. No, that there's tools there that I cannot provide you with. I just wanted to make sure I said that for anyone who is listening with kids, um, recognize that it is, I'm standing here from a place of 
privilege Good. in being childless. <laughs> Get rid of your stress. They just walk their child out the front door, <laughs> pack their bags, just kick their kid out. <laughs> See you later, Timmy. But it's at least you got to acknowledge it's there. If you have mm -hmm. a, and it's just, it's a balancing act. But if you have a high stress life, just know that that will make sticking to things that will make willpower harder, not impossible, mm -hmm. but more challenging, right? So it's worth saying, okay, where can I wiggle? And like you said, stress can come from a lot of different places. For some people, it's all internal. For a lot of people, it's having just being stretched too thin with work, with kids, with anything else. But it's worth investing time into figuring out how you can better manage that or even just change your perception of stress. Yes. If it's therapy, if it's taking some time off of tech, I know that's huge. I was just mm -hmm. telling you, I just finally put a freaking quiet time on my phone to where I can't access Instagram, social media, to Twitter, TikTok, anything from 7 p.m. till 8 a.m. because I was noticing I was going to bed so anxious and waking up super anxious. And it seems silly yeah. to talk about, but it's because I would just sit there and scroll and my brain would have zero quiet time, zero time to think. It was just incoming, incoming, incoming. And I think I do a good job of auditing who I follow and what's coming in. But even that, just the rapid swiping and swiping, it, my brain was just so used to it. And I'm telling you after, it was a week ago. And just from 7 p.m. till 8 a.m., I've fallen asleep <laughs> much easier. I've woken up and actually had way more clarity and energy feeling rested, getting up in the morning, going to the gym. It's, it's made a big time. So finding ways that could help. Cause I'm sure that helped a lot for me, but for others, you'd be like, this dude's a, a, a B word, just get over <laughs> it. Right. Social media, but it's a big piece, right? Getting rid of stress is a huge piece. Yeah. Totally it's massive. Agree. Now, if we look at willpower, how we can stack our days, right? So after we say, okay, let's start managing our stress. We can also look at things, and I know this is a coaching strategy you and I have both talked about, but willpower in general is highest in the morning and declines through the rest of the day, right? You wake up and it's generally highest in the day. So it's usually easier, and some people haven't thought about this or made a click, and some might be like, oh, duh. It's easier to, to accomplish the most challenging tasks early in the day. Do the hardest thing first. And this even works from like a work strategy. If you've got like four or five tasks at work today and one of them you're just dreading, do that first because I'm an idiot and I usually put that to the very last piece of the day and it, and it what should take 20 minutes of focus, maybe even 10 ends up taking three hours because I just procrastinate and go yeah. around it and I dance it and it's the, I do it over and over again and it's stupid. So I, it's, trust me, I'm saying this, I don't do this all the time, but mm -hmm. look at it like your work day, right? Do the hardest things first. If you are someone and if you're like, oh, should I work out in the morning or at night? but you find yourself always missing it when you're in the night or missing half your workouts, maybe think about doing it in the morning and changing th some things around. Because if you yeah. accomplish and have it when you have the highest willpower, you reserve the easier things for later in the day when it might be a little bit lower. I think that's a big tool that people can use. And that's just more changing the day. But I really wanted to talk about how to actually increase self-control. And this is something that really worked well for me. And I want to hear your take. And I actually first heard about it from Huberman right? It was, it's just simply delaying the quote unquote, the want as soon as it pops up, i.e. even the most mundane, small, simple tasks right now I'm thirsty. So my brain wants to reach for my water, just catching yourself and saying, I'll do it in a minute, right? I'll do it later. Or myself for my cell phone, just picking it up and checking social media. You reach for your cell phone, just tell yourself to pause and just stop and don't let yourself do it. And then you can do it in 30 seconds. I'm not telling you not to drink water all day. But it's actually training called, I, I wanted to look this up because I was like, that's actually a really good technique because it trains it to, to strengthen. It's something called the pause and plan response. 
It's something called the pause and plan response. So if you can strengthen that a hundred times through small, silly tasks through the day, all it really involves is simply pausing before you take an action. And all that does is it causes you to consciously notice what you're doing. So whatever you're doing then becomes a decision instead yeah. of just being mindless. And I think that is such a powerful tool because we had talked about this with, was it Zach or Shane who we had on the show when we were talking more specifically about uh, even binge eating and things like that? I was that, just going to bring that up. Mm -hmm. The act of pausing and how powerful that can be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I hate, I my biggest pet peeve is when people say that binge eating is a lack of willpower because one, that's just a separate, it is a um, mood disorder. Like binge eating disorder, it has to do with the neural pathways in your brain. It changes in how your reward pathway functions. So that just pisses me off when people say it's a lack of willpower and anyone that's experienced that or is experiencing that, I, I think can relate to that. Um, but a really effective tool. And again, it's going to take a lot of, it takes a long time. It's all about repetition mm -hmm. with changing things that seem to be habitual and seem like you don't have much control over them. When you're trying to regain back control, it takes consistency and it mm -hmm. takes time. So with, with binge eating, if it's a, for a lot of people, you don't even notice the time between when you weren't binging and then all of a sudden you've ate a whole entire jar of peanut butter and you have no idea how that happened. Mm -hmm. Recognizing whether it is like starting to feel that urge coming on and even taking two minutes to do some deep breaths to regain back that conscious control. I'm not saying that's going to stop a binge, but the first step is to create awareness. So at least we are aware that's going to actually happen. Maybe we aren't at a point where we could stop it yet, but now our brain is starting to realize that we have some sort of conscious control over this. Okay. Yeah. Over time that will improve and we will be able to start to delay this action. So I'm going to give it five minutes. That food's going to be there. I'm going to go for a really quick, quick walk, or I'm going to call someone over time that urge, mm -hmm. you will be able to recognize it and delay it so long that the urge is no longer there. And again, I'm saying over time, a long yeah. time, it yeah. can take a long time, but yeah, I think it's, it's a great example. Yeah. It's through repetition. And that's why I love the example of that Huberman gave of just doing the simple, small, stupid things. Like, again, if you're thirsty, it sounds insane that it's like, don't drink the water right now. It's like, what are you talking about? Just drink water. You're thirsty. But just that pause that pause and making you think about it. It's powerful. And it's kind of like coming with the whole, like ride it like a waiver or, or fight the urge. Cause I think a lot of people, when it comes down to, especially the nutrition aspect, you know, I think the gym is a challenge to get to and ingrain, but I think the nutrition, most people argue is the more challenging piece of it. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes you have these urges and it's, it's really easy to fight that urge, right? Like for example, you just get done with a long day of work. You lay down on the couch and the thought of ice cream pops in your head. You stuck to your diet, you're training all day, ice cream pops in your head. And I think most people's instant reaction is to fight that feeling, like look away and fight it saying, no, think about anything but ice cream. I don't want it. Think about anything but ice cream. That doesn't work. We know that, like that just doesn't work. That only makes you want it more. It's just going to be incessant. Instead of it, don't pressure yourself, ride the freaking wave. Yeah. Think about it, right? You're pausing in that moment. Oh, that urge of ice cream. Okay, well, let me think about it. Like, accept it's there, face it calmly, and then play it down as something non 
important because that honestly, what that can do is help you remember your why, because this is an interesting thing I talked about a while ago, but I haven't brought it up until I was putting notes together for this. It's this idea of future discounting, right? Where it's essentially, it's the idea that you put a lot more, I mean, you as a human, us as humans, we put a lot more value on what's right in front of us mm -hmm. rather than something that's far away, right? Taking a hundred dollars now or $200 in three months. Yeah. Most people choose a hundred dollars now. I think same thing. It's like round, let's say, you know, you have a choice after dinner, you have a little treat, you have a little dessert. Perfect. You could call it a night, which is going to support your long-term goals, which is a delay, right? Your goals of, oh, I want to be healthier, happier, live a longer mm -hmm. life, right? Those small little tiny things. Or you could go back and go for round two of dessert, which is right in front of you. Like, oh, I could go back for a few more Oreos. I could. Your body's valuing that immediate dessert right in front of yeah. you. Yeah. Instead of rather, because I think anyone logically, if you put those two choices down on a piece of paper, would I rather have three Oreos or a longer, healthier, happier, competent, like more confident, stronger life? Anyone with a, a thinking mind would choose the second one, right? They would yeah. choose that over the dessert. But when it's right in front of you, it's not that easy of a decision. And I want people to really not discount what Tony mentioned. He said going back for more. So- I'm not sure if you guys have ever felt this way before, but if you've been able to see someone or know someone that could just have one chocolate chip cookie and they're so satisfied and so good and they put it away, don't even think about it. And you're like, damn, mm -hmm. or they keep a pint of ice cream in their freezer and have a little bit, forget about it, forget mm -hmm. that the ice cream is there and go back to it and have a little bit more and don't just crush the whole thing. That is that right there is self-control. That yeah. is the epitome of self-control. And it's all about being in your, conscious in your decision-making so that making choices that align with what your value, values are and what you actually want is seamless. So yeah. if you do get home and you are very stressed out, recognizing that you are really craving ice cream and really, really want it and want to eat a whole pint, okay, cool, let's recognize that. Mm -hmm. Let's also see, am I... Am I hungry right now? Like, is that why I want it? Or am I stressed? Like, where is this coming from? Am I, if I'm genuinely hungry, let's get something to eat. And if I still want ice cream, the ice cream's there, I can have a little bit of it. Yeah. So all of this is self-control and it is willpower. And because of how we have positioned the idea of willpower on social media and in fitness, nobody thinks of it like, yeah. like that. But yeah. Well, it's absolutely huge because I mean, that really boils it down. Is that self-control? Because guess what? That person like that was a perfect example because everyone's like, ah, I'm just, I'm just not one of those people who can just have two cookies. I have to have the entire sleeve. It's yeah. like, do you know why? Probably because you are fighting it instead of actually writing it out every time. Every time you mm -hmm. fight yourself telling you you can't, you can't, you can't. That's only going to make you want it more and crave it. And then mm -hmm. it's more you push it down, the more you're going to explode. Rather than the person with self-control, they're just approaching it like normal. It's not yeah. a good or a bad, right? Changing those definitions, but it's approaching it like that. That's self-control. So mm -hmm. that was a good rundown, I think, that we wanted to put up before we dive into the fixed versus growth mindset conversation of how to strengthen your willpower. And I think honestly, what a better way we could have introduced that is like just redefining what it is, because it is most people I don't think talk with the same definition of what we just used. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it's a very powerful tool and a very powerful muscle you can train that, again, is only going to make this much, much easier or much, much more challenging. Yeah. So I think and then really thinking about, you know, OK, I know that this is in, this is really important. I understand why it is important now. But how 
how do I become that person? How do I become mm. that person that is has this self, piece of self-control? Con- how am I able to achieve what I want? How can I prioritize this from a mindset perspective? I think it's really important to understand, seeing as it is easy to forget how important mindset is, is our actions don't just come out of nowhere. We aren't mm-hmm. acting without any thought or any feelings or any towards a sort of emotion towards something. So how are, are our actions driven? That's, that's the mindset. Mindset comes before acting. And then you get your results. So I'm going to give a few definitions I thought here. you were going to go into the, the topic of free will. I thought you were going to say, because we don't have free will. <laughs> I was going to Oh laugh. my God, no. <laughs> we don't do that. That's Our so actions funny. Beca- we don't have actions because we don't have free will. <laughs> okay, keep going. Sorry. <laughs> stupid, stupid thought. But I think people don't make this distinguishment between a fixed versus a growth mindset. And this is what can really hold you back. So hmm. a fixed mindset is you believe your intelligence, talent, any other qualities are innate and they are unchangeable. So things about you, you cannot change. This prevents growth. It prevents skill development. Carol Dweck, who is a researcher at Stanford University, she puts a good example here with her students and she does a lot of research on mindset. But she said that in a fixed mindset, students believe their basic abilities, their intelligence, their talents, they're just fixed traits. They have a certain amount and that's that. And their goal becomes to look smart all the time and not look dumb. So to get by with just being who you are, you just have to get by and put up this front versus a growth mindset. That's where you believe intelligence and talent can be developed with practice and effort, seeing failure and setbacks as an indication that you should continue developing your skills. Uh, Carol Dweck goes on to describe this as in a growth mindset, her students understand that their talents and abilities can be developed through effort, good teaching, and persistence. They don't necessarily think everyone's the same or anyone can be Albert Einstein, but they believe everyone can be smarter if they work at it. This can be absolutely directly translate over to situations with weight loss. And people with a growth mindset, they're more likely to maximize their potential, learn from criticism rather than ignore it, overcome challenges rather than avoid them, find inspiration in others' successes rather than feeling threatened and comparing themselves to other people. And this gets people so hard when it comes to your fitness weight loss journey because it is so easy to compare yourself and not think that you could ever be the person that you see on the internet. And I see it time and time again, and it's all mindset-based. You can have a fixed mindset and a growth mindset in different areas of your life. Absolutely. And no one doesn't have some some situations where they feel like, oh, well, this is, this is just kind of is what it is for me. No one's perfect like that. No one feels confident in everything all the time. But it's how you develop working towards this growth mindset that really can get you to act in a way that is more towards the goals and the results you want. Sorry, I was laughing. I, was, I think it was just, we, <laughs> I think it was you said, this can just get people so hard. And I was like, that sounded a little funny. Oh, inappropriate. The way it come up. That, no, it fact, but down. you kept going and it made sense, but I was, that's why I was laughing a little bit. But I mean, seriously, <laughs> that is what it is. Because if you were listening to us talking about, about willpower, if you were listening to us talk about self-control, And in your mind, you're just like, that's great. Like, I'm just not one of those people. What is Mm -hmm. that? That's a fixed mindset, right? Realize you're choosing that. You don't have to choose that. 
You can have mm-hmm. a growth mindset. So if that thought kept, because I know some people would say, oh, I think I have a growth mindset. And I catch myself on this all the time where I oh. would consider myself very growth minded. But sometimes I have to catch myself in situations that have almost been on autopilot just for several years and just mm-hmm. kind of course correct and be like, why am I not doing X, Y, or Z? And it's like, it, it boils down to in that area being fixed and yeah. just saying, oh, that's who I am. That's what it is. And it's like, wait a second. So I think everyone experiences this on some level or another, but if those thoughts were popping up in your head when we were talking about even just willpower and self-control, that's not, I'm just not, that's just, it doesn't come from me. It's not me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think like that should be motivating. That means, yeah. hey, we just identified that is a fixed part of your mindset. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I don't know, I'm a firm believer in even the Einstein comment. I think if any human has done something, I think any other human is capable of it, essentially. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're a human, it's like, I think you can beat Elon Musk, do it. Mm-hmm. He's a special yeah. freak of nature, but he's a human. So mm-hmm. are you. So I think yeah. that is especially when it comes to this mindset piece, because that will change your life more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's really important to understand when we're thinking about and talking about how to develop a growth mindset, that there's a very important and strong connection between what you believe and what you do. So examples are, if you believe it's too hard for me to lose weight, or I'll never look as good as her, or I don't have time to exercise, or no matter what I do, I can't lose weight. These fixed mindsets can make you more likely to avoid certain situations that can make you feel like a failure. So anything that could put you in a position, if you think that you know, you'll never look as good as someone, oh, well, what's the point of me even going to the gym if I'm never going to look like her? I'm just going to, I'm just going to fail. Or what's the point of me even starting to improve my diet? I've gone off all of my other ones and they never worked. You want to naturally as an instinct, human beings do not want to fail. They don't want to put them in themselves in a position where they are either afraid or could fail at something. It's not innately what you want to do. (laughs) So that piece is really important to see and understand. Hopefully it's starting to come together. Oh, you know what? This mindset piece actually is starting to make a little bit of sense. It's not just some woo-woo idea that someone threw out one day that people are picking up on. And good touch on that though, because I think a lot of people, when you listen to it, I used to be this person and I hate that I was, I would totally discount it. I was like, that's just woo-woo. It's You got to believe in yourself. It sounded like that to me, which I just would want to roll my eyes at a thousand times. But when we actually, when you're breaking it down like this, it's like how many people have said those things to themselves Yeah, over and over again. And it's an easy, I mean, I've used it before. It's an easy scapegoat to just be like, it's too hard for me. It's whatever it is. It's an easy scapegoat. It's so easy just to be like, oh, I, that's why I'm not working out. That's why I'm not this is because in your head, you're like I'll never be that. So what even, what's the point? Mm-hmm. That's not the real reason. That's just your excuse to put over it. I think sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So what can you do? to change this, if you are in this position, that you can actually achieve your goals. The biggest thing is focusing on building identity-based habits. And this comes from James Clear, who is an expert on habit formation. If you haven't read Atomic Habits, I highly, highly, highly request you do that. We can Mm -hmm. link it in the show notes below. But this system here is from James Clear and what he has built. He's wonderful, incredible. Can't recommend him enough. And this is a direct quote from him. James Clear stated that the key to building lasting habits is focusing on creating a new identity first. 
Your current behaviors are simply a reflection of your current identity. What you do now is a mirror image of the type of person you believe that you are, either consciously or subconsciously. And that completely describes this connection between your beliefs and your actions. So what can we do about this? James Clear describes these three layers of behavior change. So that's ultimately what we're trying to do if we're talking about Mm -hmm. losing weight, building muscle, what have you. It's behavior change. And you could look at it like an onion, three layers of an onion. Layer one would be the outermost layer, which is changing your outcomes or your results. Like I want to lose 20 pounds or I want to lose 20 pounds in two months. That is an outcome-based change. Layer two would be changing your process. So implementing a new routine at the gym, meal prepping lunch for the week. And then layer three on the innermost layer would be changing your identity and your beliefs. So your worldview, your self-image, judgments about yourself, others. And most of the beliefs and assumptions and biases you hold are associated with this level. And where you see the most lasting, long-term, effective change is focusing on that layer three. So instead of changing habits based off of what you just want to achieve, Mm -hmm. focuses on who you wish to become. And that's where it sounds very preachy, very like, get in touch with yourself. No, it, it is really focusing on that identity piece so that you can really believe you're capable of doing this. So there's two steps. So one, deciding the type of person you want to be. And this isn't easy, right? You have to think about your principles and values. I would suggest writing down on a piece of paper what you value. Simple as that. It can be any anything. And then ask yourself, who is the type of person who can get you the outcome that you want? And then the third piece here would be to prove it to yourself with small wins. So let me give you an example because just hearing that would make it a little bit difficult. So the example being, if you want to lose weight, your identity would be becoming the type of person who moves daily. That could reflect this goal that Mm -hmm. I want to lose weight, which would be an outcome result-based goal. Focusing on the identity instead would be, I want to become the type of person who moves daily. Mm Okay, okay. How could I act on that and give myself a small win to do so? I'm going to walk for 10 minutes when I get home from work each day for the next week. The following week, I'm going to do 15 minutes when I get home from work. After that, I'm going to do 20. Your timeline is up to you and what's realistic for you. But one day you're going to get to moving daily, maybe for 30 minutes, getting in that can kind of help you reach a step goal maybe that you have in mind. But incrementally, slowly, you are working towards being successful at becoming the type of person who moves daily. So you're giving yourself something to act on that proves to you, I am this person. Okay, I can still have the goal of losing weight. I'm not, that's not going anywhere. It's still there. But I'm adjusting my mindset so I can feel like I'm capable of actually doing that with giving myself this specific identity and small win I can do to achieve that. I'm going to give another example with diet. So say you just want to eat healthier. That's a broad goal. Mm -hmm. I I want to eat healthier. Your identity could be becoming the type of person who eats vegetables daily. I would love to be the type of person who does that. A small win could be this week, add a serving of vegetables to your dinner. Just has to be one serving. Next week, maybe add two servings or have vegetables at lunch and dinner. And slowly work up so that 
you start to see yourself becoming this person. Oh, I'm starting to eat a little bit healthier versus getting so caught up in I have I can only eat X, Y, Z, or if I'm eating processed foods, then I'm not a healthy person, or if I eat carbs, then I'm not healthy. No, this is specific and it's for you. It is something that can make you believe that you are this person. I don't know if that made sense. That makes sense. No, that's well, it's huge because I'm trying to think. I'm like, I think so many people when they're setting goals for anything, even not even like lose 20 pounds, but I think when it comes to the diet example, how many people's goal in their head is like, okay, my goal this week, I'm going to meal prep every single day. My goal this week is I'm going to stick to my diet for 19 out of 21 meals. It's like the goal should be like, okay, I just, like you said, I want to be someone who eats well. Okay. What does that kind of person do? And then start implementing those small changes. I mean, I know that's something that we both have gone through working with clients, but just completely redefining what success is and what the goals really are. Mm -hmm. And here's what I was saying. I think when you said like, it's not an easy thing to write down your principles and values. I did this when I was in my younger 20s. That was one of the most pivotal moments in my life. It is one of the hardest things to do because once you write down what you think your values and principles are, I challenge you to ask yourself why a couple of times. Mm -hmm. You know, I value, like for training, I think it was when I was in my younger 20s. I was like, okay, what are my principles? What do I value? Well, I value going to the gym and being healthy. It's like, okay, why? And I kept digging down. I was like, well, why? I'm like, well, so I can look a certain way. I'm like, why? And I'd keep digging down because I guess it would make me fit in or people would like me more. Why? Mm -hmm. And I realized that those values were there for the completely wrong reason. So if you really deconstruct why your values are there in the first place, you can then rebuild them as like, oh, this is really why, or this is really my value, or this is really my Mm -hmm. principle. It's tough. And it usually takes time because you end up hitting a ton of freaking dead ends as you're setting them up. Yeah. In your life, you're like, well, wait a second. If this was my value, then this situation would make more sense or something like that. But it's a freaking hard thing to do. Mm-hmm. But that's what it comes down to. And that's, I was like, if anyone hasn't heard of Atomic Habits, I think one, you're living under a rock. But two, <laughs> read the book because it's all about changing who you are on an everyday mm-hmm. basis. And yeah. that's ultimately what any goal is, right? You're just changing who you are. Yeah. Yeah. At the it, bottom it, of the day. What we do, our daily actions change what you believe about yourself and the person you end up becoming every single day the choices that you make what you do is a reflection of who you are and if you want to change those daily actions you cannot be caught up in the person you want to be that you aren't yet or the person that you don't think you could ever be yes what could i do today what can i continue to do tomorrow and the next day and will that reflect my values and the type of person that i want to be Right. So it's not like, oh, I can't have this weight loss goal. No, it's not that you can't have a nutrition goal. It's how can we actually make this realistic Mm. and reflect who you are, who you want to be and something you can actually implement and feel successful at. So, yeah, this is actually giving me some freaking nostalgia. (laughs) I'm like, like thinking back to the time of my life when I was doing all this. And I think I did something kind of similar to this. Let me repeat that what I did. And tell me if this is kind of missing the mark because I'm seeing a lot of overlapping identities. Because when I moved from Denver to Atlanta the first time, right? I, I think in my early 20s, I moved from Denver to Atlanta and then a few years later to San Diego. But the first time I lived in Atlanta was the first time I lived out of my parents' house, right? It was the first time ever. Grew up in Denver, my hometown, hometown friends, everything. I got to almost recreate who I wanted to be, but who I was, was not that person. Like I I had a lot of negative habits, a lot of bad 
mindset and just worldviews, I had a lot of things that I didn't like about myself. But what had helped me is because I couldn't just flip a switch and be like, oh, I'm now a person who values health over everything else. I'm, you know, it's easy to say I want these to be my values, but actually making them your values is tough. Mm-hmm. And I know one thing that really helped me is I'd almost create a second Tony in my brain yeah. and be like, okay, this is the type of person I want to be. Not that I am yeah. right now, like accepting, like, okay, I'm not this person. I'm not. But this is who I want to be. And I'd really spend time defining who that is. And then whenever there was a tough situation or a decision to make, instead of just giving in to whatever my urges were, especially when I was younger, I mean, you know, a lot of people deal with urges today, going oh, back gosh. for food, whatever it is, you have urges. But instead of just giving into that urge immediately, I'd say, okay, I'm going to do this or I want to do this. But if I was this guy, like, what would he do mm-hmm. in this moment? What would he do? And then it'd be like, oh, he would just laugh this off and move away. Or he wouldn't even think about it. And it was actually, it was even more funny. It was more building like who I wanted to show up as in like relationships and what I wanted my future partner to be like and stuff like that. But it was just going through all the childish things of like, okay, am I going to follow all these half naked Instagram persons? Like that's what I was doing. Yeah. And I was like, the person I want to be, that doesn't happen on follow stuff like that. So if you ask yourself that, it kind of gives you a crutch. It's almost like that fake it till you make it belief, which I think mm-hmm. is overused or misused. But it's that fake it till you make it to where it's like you, it's okay to not be that perfect person. But if you can define who that is, it's so much more clear what that person would do in all these situations. So you can start acting like that until you just become that. Mm-hmm. That's what it reminded me of is because that was such a powerful time in my life. Yeah. Of just no, changing I, your identity. It's so hard. It takes so long. Exactly, that's exactly it. That's also another great example. And I feel like it's – and what people will do wrong with this. They'll take the, You'll take this information. At least one person will take this information and really find it valuable. And then all at once, everything has to change. Yeah. That will also set you up for failure. One, one small thing at a time, right? It's a slow process. And once things start to become habitual, okay, then we can move on to the next thing. But it's – you're always going to be working at being the best version of yourself. That's never going to end. It's never going to end. Your environment's going to change. Your your goals are going to inevitably change. Um, But being able to adapt to that change, this allows you to do it better because you'll have the tools to be able to implement new habits that fit this new environment you're in or new life stage that you're in. Yeah. And that was one thing I was like, yeah, maybe I sound that too easy, but that was the process that took years. Yeah. (laughs) That took years. So if you're hearing this and you're like really bummed about where you are now, I don't know. I think when, I think this is a powerful tool I use with clients all the time, but just redefining what success is in the first place. Mm -hmm. Success isn't being that person. Success is knowing who the hell that person is. And then that at least gives you saying like, okay, I'm going to try to be that person as much as I can. That's success. Mm -hmm. Cause if you're just waiting on the day that you are that person, like you just said, like that's never going to happen. You're not Mm going to have a finish line. I think I'm going to bring up one more example here just because I feel like binge Mm -hmm. eating is one of those pieces where people lack a lot of control and it's also something not talked about enough because there's a lot of shame surrounded by it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And commonly the answer will be people expect that it can be a quick change when it's not. So like for me personally, to put that into perspective, I used to struggle with binging and purging episodes and I didn't actually start to effectively implement any sort of change until I got rid of this idea that my number one goal was to not be a person who did this. Okay. Again, Mm -hmm. I wanted to not do this, but it wasn't realistic for me to jump from doing this to completely not. So I had to change my goals. And I worked with this on this with my therapist. It was 
I want to be a person who can recognize my urge. That is my biggest goal because I don't even know where it is yet. Mm-hmm. Instead of focusing on this huge outcome, huge result, result that I want to be this person that is just effortlessly eats food and doesn't think about it, doesn't worry about it, right? You have to break it down into what realistically I can do right this right now. What can I realistically work on and be successful at? So don't it's still easy forming these identity-based habits to start to slowly get lost in this result or outcome because you're not thinking about where you're starting from. So really think about where you're starting from. And even if it's as simple as I gave the walking example of walking 10 minutes a day, maybe it's just putting your sneakers on and going outside for two minutes and then coming back in, right? So you can start as low and slow as you want to. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's a big thing because progress keeps people motivated. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I know we talk about like Huberman does a lot of talk on this about how that's really the driver of dopamine. Mm-hmm. Right. And just have like you like having some sort of visual progress. So like in your case with the binging, right, it's no longer defining like progress is not binging because it's not going to be a flip of a switch. Or for some people, it's like progress is losing weight, the scale going down. Guess what? If that's your measure of progress, your motivation is not going to last very long because that's not always going to be something that moves forward. If mm-hmm. something is good or bad, it's never going to be a flip of a switch. So defining and looking for other areas to define as progress is huge too. Like for example, like doing things less, not stop doing them, but doing them less than you did mm-hmm. before. Huge yeah. step of progress. And this is one piece. I know this was something that I guess kind of went hand in hand, but a big piece that helped me a lot. And I thought, and I put this story in here, but there's a little second one about your environment. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think people truly realize how much weight the environment they're in plays on how easy it is to make changes in your mind. And I think the easiest way is, I, I don't know if, have you ever skied before? Have I ever skied? Shut the <laughs> I first was on skis when I was two. I'm actually not too bad. I went to UVM. My first so. double black diamond was before my ninth birthday. <laughs> I could well, ski before I could walk. Wait, actually? No. <laughs> okay, I was like, that was, that was good. Okay, so Mariana skied before. I don't know if you guys have skied before, but if you haven't, you've probably seen the Olympics. And a good analogy that I've heard, and this is more to do with psychedelics, which is a funny side story, <laughs> but how people describe psychedelics in therapy settings and why they're seeing so many massive breakthroughs in using certain psychedelics in therapy is because it helps rewrite and overwrite years of etched in habits in people's brains in an instant which is crazy. And I think your environment can do the same things where if you think about what you do every single day, think about it like a ski slope that has moguls when you go down, right? I don't know if you guys, if you don't ski what moguls are, right? When you're going down, it's like those bumps in the road. And I know they do an Olympic event where you're going back and forth really, really, really fast, Mm -hmm. right? It's a very deep trench where you can't just go straight down a hill with moguls, right? Death, instant death. Probably not death, but that would just hurt really bad. You have Instant to go ACL in there. tear. <laughs> exactly. But how do moguls get there in the first place? I don't know if people take the time to think about that. How do moguls get there in the first place? They just don't, they stop combing that hill. Yeah. They stop resetting it every single night. They just let the natural ski paths take their place. Mm-hmm. And those moguls start to get deeper and deeper and more and more people start to fall into them until it's too deep to where it's like, you can't go anywhere outside of that track. That's the same thing with what you've been doing in your environment for the last several years is you get so down these paths and so deep down and ingrained to where you don't really have an option to go outside of it. And that's where the analogy was from psychedelics, where people that go through psychedelic therapy essentially quote it is it's almost like a fresh layer of powder 
and you're able to actually think and make a decision and write a new path without being stuck in a trench. And I think honestly, sometimes for me, and I've been very, I would almost say like a privileged place to be in there in my life. But when I had moved from Denver to Atlanta, I don't think I would have been able to make those changes if I was still stuck at home and still stuck in that same environment, because that largely pushed me into, you know, my mom, my dad, my friends, they all thought I was a specific person. So I almost had to fill that role instead of when you go to a new environment, there's nothing really telling you who or what to do. So you can actually say, oh, I'm going to go do this today. I've never been a 5am workout person, but I'm going to go do it because I think I want to. And then you mm -hmm. go and you're like, oh, that I don't feel weird. My friends aren't scoffing at it. Like, oh, we'll see how long that lasts, whatever. But it's really interesting. And this is what I brought up before. It was Operation Golden Flow. Super interesting story that I heard about that, that was done in Vietnam. But essentially in 1971, U.S. representatives had just returned from an official visit to Vietnam during the U.S. Vietnam War with news that 15% of active soldiers were addicted to heroin, right? So in the Vietnam War, 15% of active U.S. soldiers were addicted to heroin, which is scientifically just regarded as one of the most dangerously addictive drugs on the planet. That's in terms of dependence, withdrawal, tolerance, reinforcement, intoxication, the whole nine yards. Heroin's pretty much the, the worst you can get except for people sucking on those dumb nicotine sticks. Ugh. They're jewels, but that's a sign story. But 15% of soldiers were addicted to heroin. And because of this, the U.S. military launched Operation Golden Flow, which is, is uh, this made me laugh a little bit. It's essentially what it sounds like. American soldiers in Vietnam would not be permitted to board the plane home until they passed a urine drug test. If they failed, the soldiers were forced to stay in Vietnam detox and try again, right? That's what old, which makes me laugh, golden flow, urine test, whatever. <laughs> Anywho, here's the crazy part, right? Here's the crazy part. Once the addicted soldiers returned home, right? They detox, they got it out. And that's, I'm talking trapped detox, not like, oh, they formed better habits in Vietnam and become unaddicted to heroin. Once they were detoxed, here's the crazy part. Once those addicted soldiers returned home, to their ordinary, more mundane lives in the United States, as opposed to the absolute, I think a lot of people would consider it hell on earth that they might've been experiencing in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. Immediately, 95% of those addicted soldiers stopped using heroin, didn't touch it, didn't touch it. No AA, no relapse in the first year, no secondary drug addictions like opioid painkillers. The only thing that changed was their environment. The only thing. Right. So look at your environment and please don't discount this. If you're really struggling to change, don't beat yourself up and say, it's because I'm weak. I don't have willpower. I don't do this. Changing your environment can change your entire life. Right. I mean, think about like a, a, someone who is trying to quit smoking, walking in a bar and there's people smoking cigarettes all around them. Right. Or a former alcoholic just walking downtown and there's bars open, people drinking on the weekends. To, to a lot of people, that doesn't matter. But to someone who's trying to really change who they are and who they believe they are, that's, that's a drug, right? Your environment matters. And yeah, that's a crazy thing. I'm not saying move freaking countries. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I want to lose weight, but I'm struggling. Oh, just move to from America to Vietnam or to anything <laughs> yeah, else. Yeah. But it just speaks to your environment, and how powerful it is. Mm -hmm. And I know when I was younger and when I moved each time, nothing was more powerful than that for me, just essentially that fresh layer of powder. And it was effortless to rewrite exactly who I wanted to be. And 
it can also be temporary environments, okay? I just saw this TikTok yesterday and I wish I I think I did save it. So maybe I'll be able to to put this guy's handle on, but he was talking about how it can be easy to get 10,000 steps a day. And he it's all based off of the environment you put yourself in and not the environment environment that you're constantly in, but your temporary one. His one of his examples was I'm going to the grocery store Every time I'm parking at the furthest parking spot. Again, a temporary mm-hmm. environment, but the this environment you're building can get you an additional 700 steps round trip that you wouldn't have had. So it can be these small changes, right? If you can't pick up and move, which a lot of people can't just pick up and move, look about these smaller environments that you're in on a day-to-day basis and how you can adjust them the best that you can, whether that's another example could be getting, investing in a walking pad. Again, some of them are like $300, but maybe we look at where we're spending in other places. Is it realistic? Okay, maybe I'm going to adjust this environment that I don't walk much during my work day. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to get a walk pad or I'm going to start setting a timer so I can transition environments from working for an hour and then I'm going to go outside and walk for 10 minutes, work for an hour. So again, thinking about that as well, that's also a huge piece. Again, it's different types of environments, um, but don't just think that we're talking about some large drastic change that you have to make. It can be, the smaller ones can also go a long way, especially when you think about the, if we're talking about movement specifically, I know this is this example I keep bringing up for whatever reason, but in America, you think about the built environment. So in a, yes. as the industrial revolution took off and we are continuing to just evolve and as a country, it has become easier to not move. In, in America, it is so easy to not move. So how can you make that more difficult? Mm-hmm. i.e. parking in the furthest parking spot anytime you go anywhere, never taking the es- escalator, always taking the stairs. Maybe you get off a stop early at your T than you would have. Again, it is so easy to not move in America. Thinking yeah. about how you can adjust that. Yeah. And get an creative. Because yeah, that was like, that's, uh, that's why I felt bad. I'm like, I want to talk about this environment shift and how massive those big changes of moving across the country or the world. Mm-hmm. But that's just that really is just to highlight how much control your environment has. And that's why I like the drug analogy too. This is stated scientifically as the most addictive substance in the world. Mm-hmm. And people were able to stop at the snap of a finger because they changed that one thing. So dissect what your environment looks like. Yeah. Like Mariana's saying, dissect what it looks like. You don't have to freaking move, but mm-hmm. dissect it and look at the pieces. What's helping me here and what's not? Yeah, and try and change those freaking pieces. Mm-hmm. And I think it'll be it's important to just note when it comes to food, food is one of the hardest pieces because it's oh you always have you have to eat you can't just eliminate it like alcohol yeah. or like heroin you have that stimulus that cue in front of you always you you have to it's a necessity. So thinking about how I can how you can make it easier to make these these choices right okay. I'm not going to completely cut out every single junk food and ice cream, all the things that I love and enjoy. I'm not going to completely eliminate those out of my home because that is going to make this urge stronger. But maybe I'm not going to buy as many at a time. And I'm also going to put 
other options in front of that. I'm going to meal prep so that when I open up my fridge, I also see the chicken and the potatoes and the rice in there. And I know that my ice cream is in the freezer, but I have this cue, this stimulus in my environment that will give me a choice. I have a choice now that I can make, right? So I feel like that's also an example I wanted to bring up because with food, it it is one of the more difficult ones because it's not like you can completely cut out this thing of your environment. That was actually an interesting point that Ethan Souple, I think I told you about him a while ago. He's a actor from My Name is Earl, The Longest Yard. I was on his podcast, American Glutton, and he lost, I think he was 530 plus pounds and he lost all the way down to like 200. And he actually had opioid drug addictions too. And he actually made an analogy that you kind of nailed right there. And he was saying in real time, because I think people can, you can be addicted to anything. And in his mm -hmm. case, he truly felt addicted to food. And he's like, with any other addiction, with the drugs, it was much easier because I can just abstain, abstain from cocaine. If I have to quit cocaine, I can just get it out of my house, out of my environment, everything there. You can't just get rid of food. You need it to survive. So it's like, imagine someone's addicted to heroin in the United States or addicted to cocaine and the treatment's like, okay, today, I just want you to do a little bit and we're going to keep yeah. the rest right there in the cabinet. Don't do that, but Don't just have a little bit. Like that sounds insane to any, anyone familiar with addiction. It sounds insane, but mm -hmm. it, it's a real freaking problem to have. So we want to do this and wrap it up with the spot where we talked a lot about strengthening your willpower. And Mariana made a great point. All these things are doing, changing your environment, changing a fix versus growth. None of these things guarantee you're actually going to do it because you still have to do the work, right? You still have yeah. to show up. You have to do everything there. All these things do is it just makes it easier or more challenging to do. That's all it does. If you nail your mindset, doesn't guarantee you're going to do anything, but it does make things easier. Yeah. If you ignore your mindset, that doesn't mean anyone who's ever ignored mindset has never made meaningful progress. It just means it's going to be a lot freaking harder than it needs to be. Mm -hmm. And at the last piece that we've talked on, I think we've even done a full episode on this in the past, correct me if I'm wrong. But before that, if you don't take time to clearly define exactly what your goals are, where you're going, and your why behind them, your driver, I think Jordan Peterson said this best, where it's like, it's kind of like the difference between like having a fuzzy goal and a clear defined point. Think of it like almost like a GPS. If you don't give it a clear destination, it, it doesn't know where to take you. It doesn't know what route to go. It doesn't know you need a physical address, something quick to where if you don't take the time to define why and don't have a lazy goal. And what I mean by that is I just want to lose weight. What does that even mean? Like I want to lose, do you want to lose weight? Do you want to lose fat? Do you want to be skinnier? Do you want to be stronger? What does it mean? Build out what the hell you want. And then the hard part is ask yourself why several times. Don't be like me when I was 20 years old who I'm like, oh, well, I value working out. Why? And it ultimately got to the point of, I just want to look a certain way. That's not a strong why. Because when you take all these times and you have the pauses where it's, it's allowing you to make these decisions, you're going to still be able to decide, do you want the urge or what else is on the other side? What do you want? And if that want is not very clear, it's very fuzzy, it's not going to hold a lot of weight and it's not going to be as clear of a choice as if you have, oh, you know what? I'm going to say no to whatever this urge is because honestly, I've got kids and I want to play with them past 45, 50 years old. I want to be a big role in their lives. And this is what that person would do, mm -hmm. right? Define your why. Cause if you have a clear defined why everything else becomes smaller, the urges become smaller, everything else does. And that kind I don't think that could go understated. So I like that little change up. So yeah. if you made it this far, thanks for sticking along. Hopefully pieces of this 
helped y'all out. But we'll wrap it up there. We'll say ta-ta for now. <laughs> and we'll see y'all next week, yeah? We do need a catchphrase. We do need a catchphrase. Catch me outside. That's not it. That's not the one. <laughs> That's not it. All right, ta-ta for now. Eat see more you guys broccoli. later. I think somewhere in the middle of catch me outside and eat more broccoli. I think that would be good. <laughs>